0: We good? There we go. Okay. Well, I can assure you, <clears throat> first and foremost, I'm a regular dude, okay? So that may be a concern to some of you, and it may be a relief to others, uh, but I really am uh, businessman, Christian, a uh, lover of my wife and my kids, and... Um, So, anything that comes through, part of that preface is anything that comes through today is going to be completely God, and I hope it's powerful, but I'm giving all the credit to Him uh, initially, and you need to know that. So, I think it's a powerful message, it's part of our story, and we're going to share that with you. So, um, let's pray as we get started, okay? God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to just to be a sounding board and and a megaphone for your Word, and Father, you're you're capable of... Of moving in the in the realms and in the invisible, and today I pray that you would move in the invisible, and that, Father, the powerful message uh, that you have, Father, would come through and would get past minds into hearts, and affect change in lives, Father. That there would be walls broken down, and there would be um, there would be joy, abundant joy, and people would walk away changed because of you, and your message, Jesus, and your mystery that's revealed in Jesus' name, Amen. So, <coughs> so we were. Thank you for this. I was actually going to do this, and it's here. Um, We have uh, have gotten, we returned recently from a trip overseas. So a lot of what I had to share was kind of peppered with some of the experience. Went to Italy for a little, just a pure vacation, and had some some great time in Rome and some other places. And so just a great time to get perspective. Um, I was at work about two months ago, and I called the guy that's in California that I do some work for. And he uh, he didn't answer the phone, but another guy that I work with in Dallas answered the phone. I was like, what? And so he's, they were trying to play a joke on me, and I caught on, and I started playing along with them. And and so then my other guy got on the phone that really lives in San Francisco, and he said, uh, Man, I'm sorry about that. We just thought we'd play a joke, and I was like, yeah, it didn't work. And he uh, and I and I made the comment, I go, that's what happens when you give an idiot a microphone. And he uh, and he started laughing, and then the other guy came back to Texas and just razzed me about it, but that thought, that, that comment came back to haunt me this week, because I'm thinking about preaching, I'm like, this is probably what Jamie's thinking, <coughs> so, anyway, I hope not, so a little bit about me as I get started, okay, um, regular dude, I, uh, I'm a son of an attorney, and an educator, and grew up in East Texas, and went to college at A&M, and it was so hard for me during that prayer, B.J. to not whoop, but that would have been really bad, I think. Because we get lamb blasted for whooping all the time anyway. So, Haley, good job. Where are you? Um, so I had to do it. <laughs> so we, uh, I went to A&M, got out, and uh, my dad led me to the Lord when I was seven. So I was raised in a, in a very strict, traditional Baptist setting, okay? And, <clears throat> and that experience was great. It was life-changing, and it, was, it, was, uh, very, it, it formed who I was. When I got out, I was trying to get in the military, didn't happen, um, had some eyesight issues right before I was begin, uh, to begin pilot training in the Navy. And it sent me on a course, Stacy and I had dated through school, kind of broke, we did break up, it's a whole nother story. And uh, and, and I, I was kind of back to square one. I, I was kind of putting my eggs in the military basket, had a finance degree from AM and didn't want to work in a bank, so I mean, what do you do? And had a successful father, there was that paradigm of success and what you're supposed to do. I wound up going to the Caribbean for two years uh, through the Baptist Church, and that experience turned into doing disaster relief construction work. Okay, And I was down there for uh, probably about 18 months and just working all over in the island of Antigua in the West Indies. And it was a real formative experience, as as anybody that's done mission work will tell you, and that was really, I guess, a short-term type trip. But it takes you out of this bubble, and I was under the auspices of the Baptist Church, but it takes you out of the bubble and, and, and totally shifts your paradigm about what's, What's acceptable and what's not, and what's what's clean and what's not, and it's okay if it's not as clean as you thought it was in Tyler, Texas, at Green Acres Baptist Church, and and I had to get had to come to terms with that, you know, when I was 18 or 19, at, when I was graduated, 22, 23 at the time, and so. Um, but it helped shape kind of the you know and, and break down a bunch of walls, and I told somebody <coughs> recently I was like a boulder, you know, sometimes you get rolling down a hill, and you're like this square. You know Boulder, and, and, and I was really that way. I mean, I, even after a and m I was part of a Christian fraternity, and my walk when I got to A& m struggled through high school a little bit, but really kind of took off and but I was really zealous and, and stiff, and, and I think over the years and through some business issues and some failed businesses I've been, a, I've been able to roll a little bit more because those edges kind of get knocked off, and kids will certainly knock off your edges and and so more about that later but but so I began to roll a little bit more, but, but it did tear down some walls, which was good. And, and it, but it didn't tear walls down for the rest of my family, you know, and my nuclear family. And so we had issues to deal with that later on in life. And so um, got out, uh, I began a career in home building, and I did that for 12 years. Um, six years with a big company, six years on my own. And, um, and then through the, the business that I had my, for my six years, um, through the mortgage meltdown, totally tanked. So it led us to come here. And put us in a huge financial strain. And this process, and this move to Fort Worth, and our uh, our our mem our you know coming into the CF family and being a part of this body has been huge in terms of us just bringing God bringing some stability to our lives. And and in the midst of everything that we were doing in business and the craziness of that and the money and the all the pressures, um, it you know watching God grow our family was and, and help you know balance priorities was. Um, you know, looking back on it, that's, that's where my faith gets strengthened, is watching him in the everyday in the muck and the mire and looking back and knowing that he carries you through that when you can't see anything. And so praise to him for that. Um, but we, um, that's kind of what brought us here, okay? And, <clears throat> and one thing, our family, um, we're unique. We have an, a, a, a multiracial adoptive family. And Stacy and I, a little bit of background about our story, and then we're going to um, share a little bit here about um, about the, uh, the players but we have Stacy and I were married and we had some fertility issues we did and we weren't sure what was going on uh, for about 3 or 4 years in marriage it was kind of like yeah, whatever happens happens and then, uh, but we, uh, when I was in Denver we became pregnant uh, with our first son and our, our son Jack and so I thought hey we're in the club here we go got it you know, we're, we're good to go um, after that 3 or 4 years later we're still you know, not, we, we haven't been able to conceive again you're like what's going on And so, that's where the seeds of adoption got planted in our lives, because of that. And we started looking outside, and that's a real, I have one, I have a very small uh, family, extremely small. I have one first cousin and he's adopted, um, and that's really it. And so, you know, going through and kind of getting outside the traditional nuclear family was a little bit different for us in our family. And so, I have a very small family, very insular, um, and so when we were looking at expanding our family, we had to kind of come to terms with that. And Stacy comes from a larger family, and that's, um, and, uh, and so she had, it wasn't quite as much of a stretch for her. Looked at international adoption, which is great. God kept closing door after door after door um, for a variety of reasons. I even went physically to the countries, went to Guatemala to look at their adoption scene and some orphanages. Uh, God closed that door, actually their government and our government closed that door uh, due to corruption. And, uh, and then with business, doing the old tailspin, um, those of you that have looked internationally, it's very expensive. And so we didn't have the money to do that. And so um, the story about how we got into to growing our family—we, we, I became totally comfortable with the idea of adoption. But Stacy, who, who has been just a, a bellwether and a, really a weather vane in our spiritual walk as a couple, God tends to speak to her. This is just the, the the method. Maybe every guy would confess this, but God usually speaks to her very profoundly, and he and she in turn, uh, very tactfully, nudges and prays and. And and, and and when I and I come along, and foster care was no different. I had these, I had visions. I had to come, I had to overcome some preconceived ideas about what I had thought foster care was about. And um, my main concern was, we get a 12-year-old troubled adolescent that just starts pounding on my son, you know. And I'm like, I'm not going to be refereeing that, you know. I'm not. I didn't sign up for that. I'm not going to expose my family to that. So, I think through a non-fictional novel, Stacy read, there was a, a foster story. Coming back from breakfast one day, about 07, 08, there's this huge sign on the side of the road, and a white sign, if you ever make a sign, it's white with red letters. I think, scientifically, that's the one that stands out the most, and they knew that. So um, it said, learn about foster care here, and it was huge. And so, like a good husband, I just kept going. I mean, right past it. <laughs> and Stacy, I mean, just wham. And so I'm like, mm, I'm not ready, you know. And so, kept going, and like a good husband, I turned around, Came back, and that started the journey through Methodist Children's Home, which was the organization that we chose to partner with, okay? And we had a great connection with those people we didn't even know about and too many details. So that is how we got into foster care, and I became a huge fan and a huge proponent of of that system, And, and we were in two different tracks, okay? Well, there's two tracks in foster care, foster to adopt and foster only, okay? One is very temporary and, and so forth. One is, is, is kind of your, a method to grow a family, and, and hey, but we're not sure if we get that child if it's adoptable or not, and how do we know? And we kind of went through all that, and we're gonna talk about it a little bit, but that was how we got down that road and started, and this was 07, 08. We pretty much opened up our dossier or our, our, our arms in terms of what we would accept um, after about a year in the program because we, the referrals were pretty few and far between, and we took down just about every wall um, that we felt comfortable taking down at that point, which wasn't many in terms of the criteria of, of what we're willing to accept. And then we had to really pray about that. Why do we have a hangup with this or that? And it could be everything from handicap issues to race issues to age issues. And so we opened up everything, uh, except um, there's a higher level of care for handicap-type situations, and that's about the only thing that we said, you know what, we're not ready to do that, um, uh, or felt equipped to do that, whatever you want to say. Um, once we did that, the referrals came flooding in, okay? But looking at my family, back to my family at large, we had some issues to overcome because they, there, were some, there were some biases there. There were some generational prejudice issues that we had to overcome. And our whole reasoning for not doing that from the beginning was that we don't want to subject our kids to that. You know, we want to protect our, our kids from that. But you know what? After a time, there are 13 marriages between uh, my family and Stacy's family. Our immediate Father and mother, have had, they have 13 marriages between them. Um, we have a history of fatherlessness and illegitimate children in our family. We do. And so because of those issues, you know, over time you kind of get sick and you're like, you know what, to heck with it. I mean, it, it's an opportunity to live our lives the way we want to live it and how we feel led to live it, but it's also an opportunity for them to grow and for God to use this experience in their life to teach them about God's love and his acceptance and everything else. And that's about as deep as I went back then. I'm going to get deeper today because this is what God's dealt with me on lately. And as this process has matured, but that's, I was just kind of there. I was like, you know what? Here we go. And it was almost a maverick thing. Let's just do it. You know? And I can remember crazy conversations about, you know, sitting around Thanksgiving fire with one of my stepmother's uncles and what he had been involved in in the past and, you know, in terms of, and here I'm going to bring these kids into this environment. I mean, I'm mean, I just, you know, back to my, that, to, I mentioned I was raised in this traditional Baptist environment. <laughs> and so, so that kind of brings us up to date and where it's about the first time we really started digging below the surface and going, okay, we're, we're diving into this thing and, and, and we started getting kids. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today as I dig into the scripture, but uh, let's, let's look at what we wound up with. If you'll, Put the pictures up there. So we have uh, Jonah, who's a dancer, apparently. <laughs> Fort Worth uh, garden, or the fountains, and then we have uh, teeth get, that get pulled. There's Ellie. Uh-huh. We have the traditional eye roll <laughs> from Reina. <laughs> we get that. Trent actually has the spine of a trantodon. That's Trent. <laughs> He's a, little bit, he's a little bit different. And then there's Jack. And he, uh, that's indicative of his confidence as a 10-year-old, not necessarily ability. Not that it won't get there. It's just this is more confidence. Classic. And this is what happens when you fall asleep on a weekend when you have five kids in the house and rubber bands. So, so that's the crew. And... So as we looked at what uh, the larger picture, uh, Philip Keller wrote some books and um, he studied agriculture. I think he's a doctor, and I've read a couple. There's the Shepherd trilogy, and it's interesting because coming out of A&M, I had all this th- this theory I felt, and it was the beginning of the men's movement. And I visited with Chad about this before, and it was just there's a lot of stuff that came out of that that was fantastic. But as a 22-year-old, I, I literally went to the mission field and lived on an island and I kind of needed that to feed off of, but I had no platform to practice what I had learned at all. But when you get whip, just whipsawed in business and when you get you know, criticized and, 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 and you're exhausted in your family situation, I mean, all those things together, I finally had an opportunity. God provided a platform to use what I had learned. Well, Philip Keller's books kind of do that. He's a, he had sheep and he the shepherd trilogy is him as a shepherd and what what sheep do and how do we relate to God based on how I relate to these sheep. And it's just like the Bible. So you start to understand the Psalms a lot better. And I love that, but that's what adoption was for us. It was just a, a practicum, a lab experience, you know, for us to realize what is really what is God saying about loving all his children? What is God saying about welcoming people into the family? And how do we relate to one another in this body? Just like, just like my, my adopted children relate to my biological children. I mean, there's a lot of similarities and we're gonna we're gonna dig into that. Um, And and, and what's also interesting, too, is I began to see, too, that that we can feel, as new believers and as people that come into the body of Christ, we can feel inferior in a lot of of respects, too, um, because of insecurities. And so we're going to talk about that in Scripture, and Galatians and Ephesians talks a lot about that, and we're going to read it. But um, I began to see Jesus was really one of the biggest differences and changes. We had... um, several different foster children that didn't get to stay with us that we some of which we thought were and it's incredibly painful and let me just say this one of the biggest criticisms as a foster parent is you people don't really understand um, that God's grace and his 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 uh, his covering is enough to carry you through those times when you give up a child that you've had for almost a year that you think you're gonna get to keep and it goes back to a bad situation okay we had one kid we got at six months he was with us eight months his name was Wyatt he had these humongous eyes. My dad, first time he saw him, said, are those going to change? And, uh, but he was... But he was... In the midst of that eight months, his grandparents, mom was out of the picture, grandparents were, were failing a couple of drug tests along the way, and some backwards 80-year-old traveling judge ordered that he go back to the parents. I mean, and when you get home and see your four- or five-year-old son crying... So... It, but, but His grace is sufficient to carry you through that. And, and you never forget, but you move on. So, we did. We had a, a couple of other cases. We had uh, Brayden, who had to be held the whole time because his mother um, and father had such a dirty house, trailer, I'm not sure where they lived, but he couldn't even crawl on the ground because of the dangers of crawling on the ground. So Stacey had to hold him the entire time. Four or five months' worth of him, I don't know. The worst case of neglect our local CPS office had ever seen, we got that kid. And he was 14 months and couldn't crawl. He had no muscle definition. He, you picked up an arm and it was like a wet noodle. He had no skin color. Um, he couldn't sit up straight, I don't think. Um, his parents left him in a room locked and I think fed him, obviously, he was alive. But he, um, they were addicted to video games and they wouldn't go in and, and, and care for him. And he just left in there over and over and over. Even when he was in the hospital, she was playing video games and wouldn't intend to him. And so we had him... That was a temporary thing, but we, had, we got to experience that. So when I say I begin to see Jesus, the story of creation is filled with pain. And I don't know any other way... Um, I, was, you know, I was a missionary in the Caribbean for crying out loud, so you, you don't... You know, I, but I wouldn't, you, you don't win souls by throwing Bibles at people and they run down the beach. I mean, you, you can't. God's, God's big enough. But... But, you know, I'm not sitting there going, hey, this is awesome. You know, who would want, who would want that? I mean, they, they don't need that. But, but, but there's pain in creation and there's pain in growth and spiritual growth. And so we saw the pain of Jesus. I saw the joy of Jesus when we got our forever family and worked the kids into our family. And, 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 you know, it's not so much joy the day that you get them because you're so scared. And looking back on it in our life group, we were talking about greatest day of my life. Wake up and it's just, hey, greatest day of my life. And I've been working on that. And I've been, looking, and I've been doing it. And it's powerful because there really aren't any bad days. And if I look back, I'm like, why, why won't this be the greatest day of my life? It, it, it very well could be. And I look back on some of the great moments and our, the first thought about marriage and we got our kids and Jack's birth. I mean, it's like I was more scared than happy. I was like, I was the guy that drove away from the hospital going 10 miles an hour, you know, holding up traffic, going, they're going to chase us. We're not supposed to take him, you know. Um, so, but, but I saw Jesus through that, exp- that, that whole thing. And the balancing of work and, and Jesus' priorities. And when he was tired and he still ministered, and you see it all. And so, we, um, and we certainly did. Um, biblical birth record. What does this mean for me? What does this message mean for us? You know, some of our kids didn't have birth records. They had to be created. Um, and so... In, in light of that, um, where's our biblical birth record? You know, Let's look, um, if you'll go back sec, I want to look at the main thing to kind of frame where we're going next. The main thing, our adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God is and has been God's plan for demonstrating His love and, love and mercy to us all, I should have capitalized all, from the very beginning. From the very beginning. So what does this mean for us? Okay, God has a desire to make things right. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 4. I'll give you just a second. Galatians 4, I'm going to read verse uh, down through verse uh, 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he's under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So I had this beautiful picture when I read that verse. You know what it was? I'm reading that, and I I picture Jesus coming down into this orphanage or prison, you know, ducking under this low ceiling that's the law, and he's coming down under that thing. And the guardian, it's interesting, you know, they basically say, if you're a child, you're no different than a slave. You don't have full rights and privileges. There's guardians and managers to keep you where you need to be. There's no kid's table in God's kingdom. There's no kid's table where you're sitting over here at all, Okay. So I had this vision of Jesus you know, coming down in this dirty orphanage, and there's people in there that are sick and tired and skinny and hungry and fatherless. He scoops them up in his big old arms, and he comes out and just cold cocks the guardian on the way out, and, and you're done. I mean, you're, you're in his arms, and you're ready to go. You're, you have the full inheritance. But that law and that the orphanage, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's where we are apart from him. We don't know our father, but that's what Jesus did. He came in and just stole us from that whole, whole scene. And so, you know, we were in Italy recently, and just pure vacation. It was wonderful. But our driver, I had a, some great conversations there, great perspective-building trip. Our driver was a guy named Ricardo, and he, uh, this is, blew my mind. We're driving around. I showed him a picture of our family. He's like, oh, this is great. This is great. And, but kind of really confused about it because that doesn't go on over there. And I know that, and, you know, and I, so we're, um, you know, we're just, I'm answering questions. And so we're driving home, and, and he this was dinner one night, maybe, where I showed him the pictures and told him our story. But it wasn't until two days later, driving home from some beach town, it was like one in the morning, and it was Stacy's brother and his wife, and me and Ricardo in the front seat, and he goes, so let me ask you a question. He goes, let's suppose that uh, there's not enough food in the house, and you have a ham and cheese sandwich, and your kids want the ham and cheese sandwich. And you, uh, who do you give the ham and cheese sandwich to? You know, like, you know, do you give it to everybody? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like... Like, well, he was asking, you know, favoritism. He's like, well, how do you decide who you're going to bless? And he goes, and I was like, well... And he goes, oh, that's a bad, bad example. He goes, <laughs> she ramped it up. He goes, suppose you have a child that is drowning. You know, and I'm like... <laughs> I mean, I am in the land of the gladiators, and it's probably in the stretch for him to go, you know, you have one that is dying, and who are you saving? I'm like, what in the world? And so, but it was it's foreign to him... And do you hear that word behind all this? The word is grace. Why are you willing to, to bestow unmerited favor on somebody that, 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 that isn't, isn't blood-related? Because um, that's unheard of over there. And, and maybe that's a blanket statement, but that's what he said. He goes, we don't understand that. He goes, blood ties and family history is so important that... And, that was a legit, and he was my age, Ricardo was. That was a legitimate question for a 40-year-old person to ask over there. How do you, how do, you do that? You know, And it just it blew my mind. And maybe that's the institutional nature of religion over there. I don't know. But I think there's a lot of things below the surface there. And maybe that's why the gospel has a hard time taking root in Western Europe. But uh, Paul continues. Turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. I'm going to read this. And, and I, I tried to parse this down, but I couldn't. So bear with me. We're going to read through this because it's just chock full of too much stuff. Blessed be the God and Father, starting at verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace in which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption... Redeemed out of the orphanage, if you will, through His blood for the for the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, all things in heaven and on earth. Last part, verse eleven. In Him, we have obtained an inheritance, a full inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to His counsel, the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Amen. So. All through there, I highlighted parts chose us. We've been redeemed. He's united everything. We have a seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Those, That's powerful. That's adoption. As that's, that's, you know, all are hearing the message, I want you to have the paradigm of, okay, how does my family situation relate to the family of God? And do I treat the people in the family of God like I treat the people in my family? And, and, I th- and, and the parallels, especially for an adopted family, are, are numerous. And so... All through this passage, it's the adoption story, 100%. Recent conversations I had, too, both uh, there and here and everywhere, um, two stood out in my mind, and two people confessed they really, really, really want what I have in my faith, but they just can't do it. They want it. They crave it. And so these verses also talk about the predestined nature of that and how you were chosen in Christ, and so what, what those conversations do to me is lead me back to prayer every single time. Because at that point, what's the difference maker? It's prayer to move in the hearts of people to say, hey, you can. But have you ever had somebody say, man, I really want what you have, but I just can't do it. I want it. Some people don't want it. They really don't. I mean, they're not ready. They're just not ready. But some people want it. And for the first time, it really stood out to me, which drives me back to my knees in prayer for them. But Paul continues here as well. I want to... uh, At some point, when our kids came into our family, they had to really get comfortable with our family unit, okay? <laughs> and, and, which can be crazy at times, like every family, but they had to get comfortable with, their, with where they were, okay? And so in doing so, you know, they're asking questions, what are my siblings like? What are your siblings like when you come in the family of God? Okay, some have been there longer than you, okay? Sure. But what are, you know... What's the scene like, and how do you fit in? And I think the biggest problem with with new believers in the body of Christ or even new members to a church is feeling inferior to people that have been there before you. And the main problem with that is that I think we then don't feel like we can sit at the big kid table or the family table. We don't feel like we can do that because we're not quite ready. Brother and sister, you have a full inheritance. A full inheritance. And we need your gifts in the body as new believers and as new members, just like every—I mean, just as much as people that have been here. And, and, and I think God works through that every every day. But but the, but the enemy is so good at deceiving us to feeling that we're inferior, just like the potential for some of my kids to feel inferior is there. We have with the same thing in the body of Christ. It's the exact same thing. Romans eleven twenty four and twenty nine. I'm going to touch on the natural children versus the adopted children. And God has a, Paul has a lot to say about that. Three verses here. What it says in, um, in chapter 11, starting verse 24. I'm going to read this. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Okay, he's talking about the nation of Israel and the Gentiles that were grafted into the body. Not to mention the fact that the Jews and and then the Israelites were were shot off and cast off as well. We're all out there together, even if we didn't start there. The deliverer, excuse me, let me go back down to verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. Now, this last verse is the most important and what I'm going to focus on. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. So, I had to really get my head around this because you know, natural children in this family, the Jews, and then there are adopted children as well. Okay, I got that. But the fact that God in his abundant mercy, and this is what I really hope speaks to you today, he's consigned everybody to disobedience. He has allowed everybody to make their choices. Choices so bad and destructive as to abandon your own children. Abandon your spouse. To murder. To kill and destroy. He's, he's allowed those things to happen for the sole purpose of demonstrating his mercy to a lost world. And in doing so, roping everybody in there. Everybody in there. And I got a taste a little bit about what, you know, what, what bloodlines mean when I was over in Italy. You know, in some areas of the world, it, it's so powerful in such a barrier that it's like I can't see how he would be so inclusive. They're still there. I mean, I feel like the, you know those conversations. I feel like those they're, they're still living in Ephesians and they're still living here in Romans. Going, I I don't know. I see what Paul had to deal with. We went into one church and, and it was a, built in the, in the, the two or three hundred second, third century, and there was a little bitty. It was the Roman ruins is what it was. We walked up and it was underneath a big cathedral and you walked up in these little steps and the first step was where they'd read the epistle and the second step up was where they'd read the gospel. And being there and and seeing, you know, how did they receive this message? They read the same thing. How did they receive it? And after my conversations, I'm like, there's still a huge stronghold there to decide between who gets in and who doesn't. Is God that merciful and that giving, does he give that much grace? To to rope everybody in regardless of their past? Does he? Do you deserve to be here? Do I? We're all adopted into God's family. We must realize that in the same way we understand and accept God's plan to insert himself into our earthly affairs to the nation of Israel, Okay, we have to understand and accept that. Okay, That's the natural children part. My kids, my adopted children, have to come in and understand, yeah, that, there's a, we understand that, that he came from mommy's tummy. Okay, but I understand, you know, my adoptive kids say, I understand that I came from mommy's heart and daddy's heart. That's what we say, and that's true. But they have to, you know, they have to understand that and, and, and come to terms with that. I'm fine with God inserting himself into the worldly affairs of the nation of Israel. I got that, I'm fine. I'm just glad I got included. I'm glad that he opened it up. And I'm glad and I'm glad that he allowed everybody to be disobedient, Jew and Gentile alike, so that he could show his mercy and lavish it on everybody. And that's the mystery we read about. That's the mystery. Of the gospel. And it's been revealed. So whether you realize it or not, you are all adopted children. I want you to know that. We have that mark. We have the mark of adoption on us all. Every one of us. I get, I get the advantage of seeing on a day-to-day basis and how it affects my kids and how it affects me as the head of my family. But you know, I, we have to come into the church and realize, well, how, what is my new identity like? Well, my kids have to come in and understand. Well, what does it mean to be a Connor? And the church were like, What does it mean to be a What does it mean to be a Christ or a Nazareth, whatever Jesus' last name was? Well, it's, it's our last name. We got it. What does that mean? And what does it look like? There's no favoritism. I can tell you that. We all get ham and cheese sandwiches. What effect does this have on community? I'm going to bring this home. How does this affect us here on a, on, a, on, a, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, as we meet in life group and as we get to know each other and in, in, in fellowship and just get along as a body? I think it changes our, we have a, a huge shift in perspective. I really do. I think because we have a shift in perspective, it changes the way we relate to one another. How do families relate to one another? You spend holidays together, you lend things to people, sometimes money, sometimes goods. You help them in a time of need, you pray for them. You visit them in the hospital. You're at funerals. That's what families do. John thirteen thirty five says, you know, they will know you're my disciples because of the way you love each other. Not because, of, you know, it has nothing to do with, with preaching in St. Peter's Basilica about, you know. No, it's how do you love each other? That's how you're going to know that they're my disciples. It's still true today. So I think that, that shift and that gets played out more. And along with that, I think there's increased spiritual fruit production. You can't avoid it. You're more loving. God's been working with me on kindness. You're more kind. Because, you know, if you take this, this, this if you take hold of this, there should just be a huge excel. And that's my prayer today, that, that, that spiritually and even physically, you just kind of go, okay, okay. I get it. I, I get it. I understand. Understand? I can't earn it. Kids can't—they can't earn my favor. I bestowed it on them the day they showed up. One of my kids didn't even—I was called daddy by one of them when they came for the first time. I'll leave names out on purpose, but I was called daddy. They didn't know what a daddy was. They'd been in four foster homes, and their situation was a nightly news kind of situation when it it hit the news. And we got them after four homes, and they didn't know what a daddy was. There was one male figure in one of the homes, but I could have—I could have paraded a Great Dane in front of them. Said, "There you go." They, I mean, but, it, but 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 you know, and looking back on it, I realized that. But I've, I've I've grown into that role obviously, and there's there's a paradigm now. But but that's what it's. I mean, we all have to find our forever father. All of us do. So when, when I titled, you know, when I put the title of the sermon on here, "Finding Our Forever Family," our adoption story, our is a very appropriate word. It's it's Stacy and I's it. It's our. This is our adoption journey, and it's our it's finding our heavenly father. That's that's my whole purpose in this, and that's what God's been work an enemy. You know, I, I sense that there's some people out there that, that, and we're going to move into time ministry here in just a second. Uh, as a matter of fact, if, if people want to go ahead and come on down, that'd be great. I think from a, that spirit of fatherlessness I think is so rampant and pervasive. And, it, yeah, please stand if you would. And what I, what I sense is that there's people wandering around there with the spirit of fatherlessness, and you have that label, and you have that, and, 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 this, and I'm not talking earthly father, I'm talking spiritual father, and then earthly fathers may be an issue for you. Fatherlessness is rampant in our society, physically speaking, wreaking havoc. I think the, most, the, the biggest travesty in that whole thing is you don't have, a, good, you don't have a, good, a vision of what a father is. I hope our church can be that for you. But rather than wander around in a spirit of fatherlessness all the time, and be bumping into walls and going, you know, where do I belong? What's my identity? My prayer is that you quit asking why in terms of the broken past, and whatever happened in the broken past, quit asking why, and accept God's grace and His, forgi- and his forgiveness. And understand that He's consigned everybody to disobedience, everybody in the church and out, everybody to disobedience, that He may shower mercy on everybody, and accept the fact that that's probably and that may be His His tool, and your broken past may be His tool to lavish mercy on you. That's not me. That's scriptural. Everything we go through was designed that He may shower His mercy. We may see it more clearly. People on the beach getting a Bible thrown at you they don't see God's mercy as clearly as when you're dealing with a broken past and the disobedience of others, not even your own disobedience. So if you need help, if you don't know the Father and you've never found your forever Father, I promise you these people know how to help you. Accepting Jesus. And if you need help, and I'm talking any help, and I'm talking financial relationships, health, Please come down and get it. But don't leave here today with with confusion on your identity. And if deception from the enemy about who you really are has been the issue, come get prayer.